Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Andrew, and if you don't know by now, I have a feature film thriller movie that I wrote and directed coming out called An Angry Boy, and I'd love for you to check it out. You have to at least see some footage, and I want you to join us for the online world premiere as well, which is only available through Kickstarter, and you need to hurry because time is running out. So when you get to work or when you get home, go to Kickstarter and look up An Angry Boy, and you'll see our cool throwback poster along with videos about the making of the movie and a sneak peek. I hope to see you there, because I'll be doing a live Q&A after the movie, and no matter where you are in the entire world, you can log on and watch with us. Now, enjoy the episode. Every town has a dark side. A serial sex murderer, Montana's babyface killer, the Missoula Mauler. All these descriptions and monikers refer to only one twisted individual named Wayne Nathan Nance. He brought fear to Montana for over a decade and was the suspect in the gruesome murders of six people, although it's believed his crimes exceeded the ones documented. He had a proclivity for sexually abusing and then killing women of all different ages and even attempting to murder an entire family. Hey guys, I'm Andrew Fitzgerald and welcome to Every Town. Please remember that you can always watch these episodes on our Scary Mysteries YouTube channel or if you want more podcasts from us, just go check out our Scary Mysteries podcast. But right now, today, we're exploring the many criminal acts of one of Montana's most despised serial killers. So, 
Let's head on over to Montana, starting back in 1974, and learn about the saga of the man dubbed as the Missoula Mahler. Wayne Nathan Nance was born on October 18, 1955 in Clinton, Montana, which sits in Missoula County. His mom was a waitress, and his father worked as a trucker. The young family lived in a mobile home just in the outskirts of Clinton. He grew up in the Milltown and East Missoula areas and then graduated from Bonner Elementary School and then Sentinel High School in 1974. As a young student, Wayne surprisingly excelled in his class, getting A's and B's, yet he was temperamental, and that usually got him into trouble. The local boy was seen as a bit peculiar, although he was well-liked around the small town. Further on down the line, the people of Missoula were horrified, to learn that Wayne Nance, the young man who grew up right in front of their eyes, was in all likelihood a ruthless serial killer linked to at least six murders that occurred in the 1970s and 80s. In the 70s, his reputation as a weirdo since his teenage days had been stuck with Wayne. He boasted of worshipping Satan and once used a hot coat hanger to brand himself with satanic symbols. Then, at the age of 18, he turned his misguided admiration of the devil into a wicked act. Since Wayne was well-liked by his community easily made friends with the neighbors, like the Pounds family that lived a few houses down from the Nances. Mr. Harvey Pound worked at Yant's Men's Store while his wife Donna worked part-time at a Christian bookstore in Missoula. The couple were extremely religious, with Harvey being the deacon of the Bethel Baptist Church. Wayne became friends with the couple's children, Kenny, Karen, and Kathy. When Kenny was in the Army, Karen had a job while Kathy was still a student at the time. On April 11, 1974, Donna was left alone at home as Harvey and Karen went to work and Kathy had class. Wayne then crept inside the Pound's home, and he snuck into the couple's room. There, he retrieved Harvey's 22 caliber Luger and approached Donna, who was in the bedroom. He tied her up in a spread-eagle position on the bed with clothesline, which he had brought along with him. Then, Wayne raped the middle-aged mother of his friends, and Donna was naturally enveloped with terror. After that, he took her down to the basement, pushed her under the stairs, and shot her five times in the back of the head. 
A neighbor told police that she had seen a man who looked like Wayne in the vicinity of the Pound's home that afternoon. And furthermore, Wayne, being close to the Pound's children, visited the house regularly and must have known exactly where the 22 caliber Luger was kept. When police questioned him, he denied any involvement and came up with an alibi that he had been sick in bed all day. Police then executed a search warrant of Wayne's home and discovered a blood-stained pair of underwear, which had recently been washed. While it was identified as a human blood-stain, police couldn't determine who it had come from. While Mr. Nance was considered a likely suspect, they couldn't find any physical evidence directly connecting him to the case. Another suspect at the time was Harvey Pounds, especially when it was found out that he had been having an affair, hinting at a potential motivation for him to dispose of his wife Donna. Nevertheless, though, police also couldn't find evidence linking him to his wife's murder, and eventually the case went cold, and perhaps getting away from the murder encouraged Wayne to commit more evil deeds. And that's when the Missoula Maulers' reign of terror really began. Wayne ended the 70s with a deadly conquest. In 1979, railroad workers discovered the badly decomposed body of a young woman on a road bank near Interstate 90 in Missoula. She was Caucasian and wearing a floral dress. She had been sexually abused and stabbed. Police searched through missing persons reports, but were unable to identify her. Thus, she was dubbed as Betty Beavertail after the nearby Beavertail Hill State Park. Wayne became a suspect in this grisly crime, but there was still no evidence that would definitely pin him down as the culprit. And then, after almost six years in February of 1985, Betty Beavertail's real identity was finally confirmed as 15-year-old Seattle runaway Devonna Nelson. It was in the 1980s that Wayne unleashed his killer instincts and went on a killing spree. In the summer of 84, Wayne got a job as a bouncer at Missoula's Cabin Bar. At the same time, he was dating a 16-year-old drifter named Marcella Marcy Bachman, whose alias was Robin, which was a new name she assumed after running away from Vancouver, Washington because of conflicts with her family. She was taken in by Wayne after a trucker left her in the Missoula area. She claimed that she was either a Texas native or had passed through the state. And Wayne and Robin dated throughout the summer and then announced that they would leave town in September to start anew in another place, which was about the same time that she disappeared. 
Her brother, Derek Bachman, all the while had been looking for his sister since he was 21 years old, along with a private investigator. Derek initially believed his sister had engaged in prostitution to support herself away from home. He also feared that Robin had become a victim of Gary Ridgway, the famous Green River Killer, who murdered at least 49 runaway children and prostitutes during the 1980s and 90s. Fortunately, she wasn't one of his victims, but almost three months later on December 24th, a wildlife photographer trekking through the woodlands of Missoula came across a grisly scene of a human foot protruding from the earth, so he immediately notified the authorities. They arrived at the scene and unearthed the body of a young woman in an advanced stage of decomposition. The pathologist determined that she had been dead for around three months. Police went through missing persons reports, yet none matched the features of the dead woman. Whoever she was, she had certainly met a brutal death as there were three gunshot wounds in her head. With no identification, she became known as Debbie Deer Creek after a nearby drainage basin. Her body had been buried in a shallow grave. The investigators found hair similar to Marcella's in Mr. Nance's home. There was strong evidence that indicated Wayne was Marcella's murderer, but he was not officially charged for the murder due to lack of evidence establishing his link to the crime. It was only in 2006 that Marcella was rightfully identified through DNA profiling, and her remains were subsequently cremated and interred. Nine months after that, on September 9, 1985, a similar scenario of Devonna Nelson and Marcella Bachman's fates unfolded. A bear hunter stumbled upon skeletal remains scattered along a hillside in West Missoula. Investigators determined that the unidentified woman had two 32 caliber bullets in her skull and probably died between 1983 and 1985. Like the previous victims in the Missoula area, they weren't identified, and the investigators dubbed her as Christy Crystal Creek. Forensics experts at the time theorized that she had been between 18 and 35 years old and stood around 4 foot 10 and 5 feet 2 inches tall, weighing between 90 and 110 pounds. Further examinations indicated that the unknown victim, who had many fillings in her teeth, and two root canals may have been a smoker. The dental procedures she underwent were determined to have used characteristically Asian techniques, and so she was initially believed to be of Asian descent. It was only recently, in May of 2021, that Christy Crystal Creek was identified as 23-year-old Janet Lucas, a mom to a five-year-old son when she vanished. 
when genetic genealogy research was conducted after a successful DNA extraction, it was determined that Jenna was from Spokane, Washington, and disappeared in the summer of 1983 in Sandpoint, Idaho. It was never known, though, how or why she came to Montana. Mr. Nance was the only suspect in the case, but yet again, he was not definitely linked to Janet's murder, so he was on to his next victims, and this time, he targeted a family. Wayne's bloodiest home invasion happened three months after Christy Crystal Creek's remains were discovered. Mike and Teresa Shook and their three children lived in Hamilton, which is located in the southwestern part of Montana. On December 12, 1985, as the family just finished having dinner, they heard a violent knocking at the door. Mike got up to open it, and Wayne, the man standing behind the door, lunged at him with a butcher's knife, instantly killing Mr. Shook. The unremorseful killer then dragged Teresa to the bedroom, tied her up, and then raped her. After sexually abusing her, Wayne then stabbed the mother of three to death. In an attempt to conceal the evidence of his crimes, he then set the Shook family's house on fire. Miraculously, the three children escaped the blaze unharmed. While authorities found them alive, there was no trace of Wayne or anything linking him to the brutal home invasion. Then came September of 1986, which was the highlight of Wayne's killing spree, but it was also the much-anticipated downfall of one of Montana's most wanted serial killers. Already in his early 30s in 1986, Wayne found employment as a delivery driver at Conlon's Furniture, a moving company owned and managed by husband and wife Doug and Chris Wells. Wayne was decent looking and could have drifted into obscurity if he hadn't soon returned to his violent ways. It was said that Wayne had fancied Mrs. Wells, and so he made her part of his list of next victims. He'd been stalking Chris, even in her house, and he planned to execute his trademark brutality before murdering her on the night of September 3, 1986. The Wells couple had just arrived at their home at around midnight when Doug spotted someone lurking outside their home. When he headed towards the person to inspect who it was, he found Wayne in the bushes. The latter explained that he had driven past when he thought he saw somebody looking into the Wells' window. 
The two men engaged in a little friendly conversation, and then Wayne asked Doug if he could borrow a flashlight. But as Mr. Wells turned his back to go inside the house, Wayne struck Doug in the back of his head with a gun. Doug fell to the floor with his head bleeding profusely, and as the two men struggled from the garage to the house, Chris rushed to see what was happening. It was then that Wayne pointed a gun at her and instructed her to tie down the hands and feet of her husband. Then she was also tied up by their attacker. Chris was then taken by Wayne to the bedroom and tied to the bed frame, while Doug was brought to the basement and tied to a post. Doug, a gunsmith by profession, had earlier placed an antique lever-action Savage model takedown rifle near the workbench down in his basement. He knew that if he could get to it, he and his wife might have a chance to survive. Giving a beat down to Doug wasn't enough for Wayne, who pulled out an 8-inch oak-handled kitchen knife and stabbed his victim in the chest that punctured one of his lugs. Fortunately, though, he missed Doug's heart by about an inch. Thinking that Doug was dead now, Wayne left the basement and headed to the bedroom to have his way with Chris. But unbelievably, Doug was alive, although badly wounded. He mustered up enough strength and managed to free himself from the bondage and he grabbed and loaded his savage rifle and waited. Doug knew that if he headed upstairs for the bedroom, Wayne would surely use Chris as a shield. Instead, Doug banged the recoil pad or butt of the rifle against the wall to get the killer's attention. The ploy worked since Wayne raced down to the basement, and as soon as he came into view, Doug shot Wayne once in the side, dropping him to the ground. Chris also managed to free one of her arms, and after hearing the shot, she feared her husband had been killed. Doug, though, managed to stumble up the stairs. When Wayne began to stand up, Mr. Wells proceeded to pummel him with the rifle's butt. He continued to beat him as his nemesis crawled towards Chris, who kicked and punched Wayne. In retaliation, he pulled out his gun from its pouch on his belt, and fired at Doug successfully. His second shot caught Doug just above his knee, but despite this, he kept beating Wayne with the rifle until Wayne stopped moving and his head was a bloody mess. Chris wasn't physically harmed, but she, her husband, and the serial killer were brought to the hospital. Despite his severe injuries, Doug miraculously survived, while Wayne's injuries proved fatal, so he died the next day. This unceremoniously ended Wayne Nance's 12-year killing spree. The tables had turned, and the seemingly uncatchable serial murderer actually fell prey to one of his brave victims.
It was discovered that Wayne had served in the United States Navy from 1974 to 1977. And investigators later suspected he might have committed more crimes while traveling for military service. Years later, police searched Wayne's home and discovered evidence linking him to his alleged first crime, the Donna Pound's murder back in 74. They also found a picture of him with Marcella Bachman, who family described as a kind and gentle and loving individual. Law enforcers also investigated Wayne's background and the other crimes in Missoula. And they noted similarities between the Wells family incident in 1986 and the murders of the Shook couple in 85. The real number of victims attributed to Wayne Nance is unknown, but he probably never imagined he would die in violence like he had done to his victims. But certainly, the Missoula Mahler himself deserved it. Unfortunately, His swift death prevented any clear closure to the many families and friends of the people that he left lifeless. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you want even more creepy stories from us, and check out our YouTube channel and podcast called Scary Mysteries. Over there on the YouTube channel, you'll find each episode of Every Town as well, complete with a cool video component if you'd rather watch it like a show. And if you really want to show us some love and support and watch truly terrifying videos, then check us out at patreon.com slash scary mysteries. There's a new video every week over there, plus the chance to get involved with ideas and picking the videos that we post each week. So head on over there to get involved, and I'll see you soon. So that's it for this week's episode of Everytown. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and tune in next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. Because who knows? Maybe your town will be next. <laughs>